0: To have a good time? <laughs> Amen. Hey, I, I wanna I want to start off um, by just saying, you know, we had a bunch of folks we asked uh, to move to you know to help balance out the service, and a bunch of people came and, and balanced that out so that they're not here in the room because they're a first service, So I, I appreciate that as we try to balance out our, our two services. Okay, let's do this. Uh, we're in this series called It's It's Time, it's Time to Grow. And we've been in it since January the 18th. It's a nine-week study on the fruit of the Spirit. 2,000 years ago, Paul grabbed the pen and he wrote these words. Galatians chapter 5, he says, but the Holy Spirit produces. I like that, right? Because the Holy Spirit produces this, right? It's the fruit of the Spirit and not the fruit of self. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. And on 3, let's read those nine things together. One, two, three. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Uh, there's no law against these things because you don't need law when you have these things. And, and Maple Grove, here's the deal. Uh, when Jesus left and went back home to uh, to sit at the right hand of God the Father until it's time for him to split open the sky and, and take us home. He did not, as he told his guys on the night of his arrest, he did not leave us as orphans. Instead, he sent his Holy Spirit to to, God, to be our guide, to, to be our help, to be our comfort, to be our counselor, to, to be, as Jesus said in, in John chapter seven, uh, to be a, a river of life flowing within and flowing out from us. John 7 records this. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in what kind of voice? A loud voice. See, loud is good. And the loud voice, let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. Just don't come to me, come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scriptures has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And then John gives a commentary. He says, by this, he meant the Spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not yet been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. And Maple Grove, I stand before you today, March the 15th, 2015, and I can say with great joy and even greater confidence that Jesus Christ has indeed been glorified through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And that the Holy Spirit, he promised for 2,000 years since Acts chapter 2 has been giving to those who surrender their lives to Christ in repentance and baptism. On on December the 30th, 1979 in Orlando, Florida, I repented and was baptized into Christ. And at that very moment, the Holy Spirit came to live inside of me. I, I, I I didn't necessarily feel him come in. I don't think my weight changed any, at least not from the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, But he, he came inside of me to do his thing, and he's still doing his thing in me today. Listen up, Jesus followers. The river of life is in us, and God wants this river of life This river of the spirit, this river of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. God wants this river of life to flow out from us into this hurting, dark, confused, broken world and bring dead things back to life. Jesus is the world's only hope. Seriously. Imagine the sheer beauty and the consuming power of that kind of river, the sheer beauty and consuming power of a river of love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Imagine a river like that flowing out of this room. Imagine a river like that of love, joy, peace, patience. Imagine a river like that flowing into your marriage. Imagine a river like that flowing into your home, flowing to where you work, flowing to where you go to school, flowing into this community, flowing through this church. Yeah, no wonder Jesus stood up and shouted in a loud voice about this river of life. And listen, with the Spirit's help, through the Spirit's power, we can pull up the weeds of the sinful nature. And guys, here's the deal. We, and that would be you and I, we need to take this weed pulling thing much more seriously than we have in the past. You see, because we have tolerated and rationalized those weeds for so long of anger and hatred and hostility and envy and jealousy and sexual immorality, that's why we haven't grown as much as God wants us to grow. I mean, December 30th, 1979 is a long time ago, you know, and if I'd been better at pulling weeds, I'd be further along than I am today. We got to be serious and the Holy Spirit will help us pull up those weeds. And listen, with the Spirit's help, we really can love when it's undeserved. And we really can have joy when there's no reason. We really can have peace when the pressure's on. We really can have patience when we feel like losing it. We really can have faithfulness when the road gets rocky. And we really can, as we'll see today, we really can unleash goodness and kindness even when we do not feel like it. Amen? Wow, what a river. What a river. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we humbly come into your presence. Lord, where will we be without your love? We'd still be lost in darkness. God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for believing in us, being patient with us. Loving us when we're unlovely, chasing after us when we run away from you, putting up with our backsliding and our rationalizations and our being off mission. And, Father God, I pray that you would just help us today. God, please help me today to express your truth in a way that would bring you honor and that would bring you glory, God, because everybody needs compassion Everybody needs the kindness of the Savior. Everybody needs the hope of nations. And Jesus, please fill this place with you. God, help every heart and mind to drop any any agenda they might have and embrace you only. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, now this morning, as we continue looking at the fruit that the Holy Spirit longs to develop and mature in each of us, we're going to look at an event in the life of King David that is the perfect picture of goodness and kindness. Uh, Now, for some reason, the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23, under the divine leading of the Holy Spirit, put both kindness and goodness in that list. So so let me try to uh, explain the difference between kindness and goodness. In ancient times, goodness indicated a morally upright individual, someone who was able to control their passions. And some biblical scholars believe that it would be accurate then to say that kindness is a manifestation or a display of our goodness. We might think of it like this. Goodness is is who we are on the inside. Kindness is the outward expression of that inner goodness. And here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to unpack this story, this event that takes place in Second Samuel chapter 9, and then we're going to pull out some lessons, some applications that will help you and I develop the fruit of kindness and goodness. First, the story. As 2 Samuel chapter 9 opens up, David has been the king of Israel for many years. He's, he's won countless victories. He has firmly established himself as king and ruler, and he's now enjoying a time of relative peace and quiet throughout the kingdom. And that's basically where we are as the chapter opens up. Verse 1, one day David asks, is anyone in Saul's family still alive, anyone to whom I can show kindness to for Jonathan's sake. And let me give you a little backstory. Saul was the first king of Israel. He started out kind of good and ended up really, really bad. Uh, Jonathan was his son and heir to the throne. And Jonathan and David became very best friends shortly after David killed Goliath. Now, now you would think that these two guys uh, would have become bitter enemies. I mean, they really should have. I, I mean, when someone takes something that you were expecting and that you thought was already yours, like a throne, a crown, and a kingdom, it usually creates a little bit of conflict. So like I said, you would think that these guys would be bitter enemies who would battle throughout all their lives, like the Democrats and the Republicans, like the Yankees and the Red Sox, like UVA and Virginia Tech like the Hatfields and the McCoys, right? I mean, you would think that would be their stories, that they would, they would be enemy, fighting and fighting, but that's not their story. Again, Jonathan was King Saul's son, and, and in many minds, including his, since he was a little boy, he thought he'd be the next king, but instead David is anointed as the next king, and Jonathan was not only okay with that, but he became David's best friend and his most ardent supporter. it, it kind of be like, if we heard this week that, that Hillary Clinton decides, hey, I'm not going to run for president and I'm going to be the campaign manager for Jeb Bush, we'd be like, what the heck is going on? That doesn't make sense. Watch your back, buddy. Something, something's fishy, right? Something's not right in Denmark, right? Okay, we would think that. But he was his most ardent supporter. However, Jonathan's dad, King Saul, had different feelings toward David. He hated David. He was threatened by David. He was jealous by David, David and he tried to kill David on more than one occasion. So he, he would throw spears at him. And, and just in case, case you know that if someone chunks a spear at you, they're probably not a good friend, right? And, and, and so Jonathan knew. He knew that his dad didn't like David. He knew that his dad was threatened by David's popularity. But he really had a hard time believing that his dad actually wanted to kill his best friend. You know, he had a really hard time believing that. I I can't believe my dad. David, I hear what you're saying, but I don't believe my dad wants to kill you. I mean, you're my best friend, and you're the one that God has chosen to be the next king. But there came a point in time when Jonathan finds out that, you know what, it's really true. And he's like, I can't believe my dad actually, David, actually wants to kill you, even though God has chosen you. And so Jonathan and David, they decide that it's best for them to to part ways for the time being, and Jonathan would stay beside his dad to support his dad, and I think also to get some intel from David, to let him know, hey, you know what, my dad's coming after you. But before they separate in 1 Samuel chapter 20, Jonathan, knowing that one day David will in fact be the king, makes a, a passionate appeal to David. He says this, may the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. But show me unfailing kindness like that of the Lord as long as I live, so that I may not be killed, and do not ever cut off your kindness from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. You see, in those days, it was customary when a, a new king took over the throne, he would like wipe out the entire family, even the dog and cat right, of the previous dynasty, right? so, so there would not be a revolt or rebellion. So Jonathan is saying, hey, David, I know you're going to be king someday. And when you become king, hey, would you mind not killing me? And, and, and would you mind, like, you know, not killing my family and, and, and let Fido and Fluffy live too? You know, don't kill anybody. And, and David affirms his kindness and promises that Jonathan's family will be treated well whenever the transition of power takes place. And then they go the separate ways. And the years that follow... Saul and Jonathan and, and, and Jonathan's other two brothers are in a battle with the Philistines and they are, they're all four are killed. The Philistines decapitate them and put their head on top of a wall. And not long after that, David becomes the king of Israel. Well, that's the backstory of 2 Samuel chapter 9. Again, one day David asks, is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? He, and again, he's remembering that promise he made many, many years ago. So he summoned a man named Ziba who had been one of Saul's servants. Are you Ziba? The king asked. Yes, sir, I am Ziba, he replied. I don't like Ziba. Um, The king then asked him, is anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show God's kindness to them. Ziba replied, yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive. He is crippled in both feet. Now this young man who is crippled, his name is Mephibosheth, and he is the only son, of Jonathan that's alive. What a great name, right? I've never seen that in a restaurant or, or, or in a souvenir shop. You know? He had a hard time finding that. Right? I can't put the tag on back of my bicycle, Mephibosheth. Okay? And now, he had been crippled for many years. He was about five years old when his grandfather and his dad and brothers were killed. He was living in the palace. And once news reached the palace that dad's gone, granddad's gone, and pretty soon they're coming after us, uh, Mephibosheth, I'm going to call him Mephib, right, Mephib, Mephibosheth, right, he, his nursemaid picks him up, begins to run out of the palace, and she drops him, and he becomes permanently disabled, and ever since, he's been hiding away, fearful for his life. Is anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show God's kindness to them. Zebra replied, yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive. He's crippled in both feet. You know, you know what he answers that way, I, I, I think Ziba is saying, yeah, yeah there's a guy, and there's one son, but he's crippled. And if we read between the lines, I, I think what he's saying is, you know, well, yeah, there's one guy, but he's disabled, he's crippled, he's not really worth all that much. David, if it were you, I wouldn't even bother with a guy who's crippled in both feet. And, and David is like, I think in his mind, I, I didn't ask about his physical condition, in fact, I could give a rip about his disability. Where is he? The king asked. In Debar, Ziba told him, at the home of Makar, son of Emil. Where is he? He's in Lodabar. Now, let me tell you a little about those words, uh, the words Debar. Lod means no, and Debar means pasture. That, therefore, Lodabar means what? No pasture, right? And no grass, Where is he living? He's living in Lodabar. He's living in a desolate wasteland. And that's where this disabled guy has been spending his day since he was five years old. And he's probably now in his mid-20s because scriptures later says that he had a son of his own. I mean, imagine what his life was like. You know, living in Lodabar. Or really not really living. He's just existing. He's afraid. He's hiding. He's disabled. All because somebody who was supposed to carry him dropped him. And now he's permanently disabled. And, and, and you know what? I, I kind of see a parallel here, you know, for moms and dads, you know, you know sometimes moms and dads, you know, you know, we're supposed to carry our children and protect them. And sometimes we drop them and we leave them permanently disabled, and we leave them messed up. So David sent for him and brought him from a car's home. And I'm sure at this point in his life, the, the last thing that um, Mephibosheth wanted to hear was a knock on the door from a guy sent from the king. But that's exactly what happened. I, I mean, can you imagine what he's thinking? I mean, here's a knock on the door. He opens the door And there are armed soldiers, and they say, the king wants to see you. And he's probably thinking, man, I am done for. They finally found me. I I knew I should have took the battery out of my cell phone so they could not triangulate my position. His name was Mephibosheth. He was Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson. And you know what the name Mephibosheth means? Has two meanings, con- contrasting meanings. One meaning is shameful thing. The other is dispeller of shame. You see, in biblical times, children were often given names to describe the situation that was going on at the time of their birth. I mean, can you imagine growing up? You know, you're in school, and they're taking role. Okay, Joe is Joe here? Susie, you here? Susie here? Shameful thing! Shameful thing! Are you here? Shameful thing! Had to be kind of rough. When he came to David, he bowed low to the ground in deep respect. David said, greetings, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth replied, I am your servant. Now put yourself in Mephibosheth's sandals. He's got to be scared out of his mind. His father Jonathan is dead. All of his brothers are dead. He's been hiding in the wilderness since he was in kindergarten and now he's standing right before a mighty, powerful warrior, a warrior who killed lions, and he killed, he killed a bear, he, he cut off Goliath's head, he killed thousands of men in battle. That's the guy that he's standing before. Not to mention that Mephibosheth knows that, hey, my grandfather Saul kept trying to kill you and wage a civil war against you, David. I mean, this guy is so freaking out and wishing he had wore his Depends, right? Man, I should have wore my Depends today, right? Okay, that wasn't necessary. Amen. And listen, even if he heard that David wanted to show him kindness, it was very common for kings, like politicians, to say one thing and do the other. You, know, you see, kings would often say they wanted to show kindness, but they had an ulterior motive, right? King Herod, remember what he did to the wise men? Oh, yeah, when you finally find that cute little cuddly baby Jesus, you know, we, have all, we have a brand new, uh, uh, we have a onesie we want to give to him, you know, and we want to worship him too. No, yeah, they wanted to kill Jesus. That's how kings operated. And Mephibosheth had to think that his life was in jeopardy. One word, and he's dead. Don't be afraid. David said. He's like, I intend to show kindness to you. I'm not cutting your head off. Because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will eat here with me at the king's table. Mephibosheth bowed respectfully and exclaimed, who is your servant that you would show such kindness to a dog like me? Your majesty, Why would you do this for me? Who am I to deserve such kindness from a king? I am unworthy. I am nothing more than a dead dog. I am crippled in both of my feet. And I think David was thinking, I know how you feel. I've been there. As a matter of fact, I wrote a song about it. He says you can download it on iTunes, David's greatest hits. It's Psalm 8 where David said this, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. And then this, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of him? Human beings that you would care for him. Yeah, when it came to feeling unworthy and undeserving of favor, David understood Then the king summoned Saul's servant Ziba and said, I've given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. And I think that's a pretty big everything because he was like a king. And now here's the good news for you, Ziba. (laughs) You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him, to produce food for your master's household. Yeah, he's now your master. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, will eat here at my table. Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Wow, what a life-changing moment in Mephibosheth's life. From, from low the bar, from no pasture, to not having anything, to desolate desolate wasteland, to having everything that belonged to the king, and additionally getting three dozen servants to work your land and take care of you. And then on top of that, he's going to get to eat every single meal at the table of the king with the king's family, like one of his own sons. Chuck Swindoll writes about this and says, picture what it would look like in the years to come at the supper table with David. The meal is fixed, the dinner bell rings, and in comes David's children and the guests. There's Amnon, witty and clever. There's Joab, one of David's soldiers, handsome, well-built, walking tall. Uh, Feel free to call me Joab. Uh, Then came Absalom, a handsome young man, not a blemish from the crown of his head to the soles of his feet. Then there's Tamar, the beautiful, tender daughter of David. Later, Solomon comes out of the library, studious, brilliant. In other words, the beautiful people, the impressive people, the powerful people were at the table. Then they hear, then they hear this, clunk, clunk. And here comes Mephibosheth hobbling along down the hall. He humbly joins the others as he takes his place at the table as one of the king's sons, and the tablecloth of grace covers over his feet. I love it. I mean, the Bible mentions no words at the end of verse 11 when it says, So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And low debar, no pasture, worthy like a dog, are in the distant mirror, or just a shadow in his life. Are you kidding me? Now, do you see why I chose this story as an example of goodness and kindness? Understand, David was a good man. The Bible says in Acts 13, 22, that that he was a man after God's own heart. And, And listen, out of that goodness from within, kindness flowed like a mighty river bringing dead things back to life, and Mephibosheth, a crippled, hiding, ashamed, dead dog, was a very surprised and extremely grateful recipient. Okay, let's make some observations from David's example and some takeaways that we can apply to our life, so that you and I can develop the fruit of goodness and kindness. Here's the first one. We need to unleash kindness on our family and friends. I mean, remember this this overwhelming expression of kindness. I mean, this guy is probably now um, Mephibosheth. He's probably the second most wealthiest guy in the kingdom. And every day he eats the meal with the king like one of his sons. This all came about because of David's close friendship with Jonathan, who was Mephibosheth's father. We need to unleash kindness on our family and friends. And, You may be thinking, oh, come on, Steve, you don't need to tell us to show kindness to our family and friends. I mean, that's a given. But that's not always the case, is it? At least it hasn't been my experience. You see, a lot of times when it comes to kindness, those who are closest to us are often the ones who get the short end of the stick. And we can so easily rationalize this. Oh, they'll be okay. They love me. I I love them. They understand me. They'll get over it. You see, the truth is sometimes it's easier for us to do a random act of kindness for a complete stranger than it is for a loved one. And I think that's pretty messed up. Don't you? And listen, to unleash kindness on our family and friends, we just can't sit back and wait for an opportunity to present itself. No, we need to take the initiative. In fact, I think we even need to change our vocabulary from random acts of kindness to intentional Acts of kindness for our family and for our friends, for those closest to us. And maybe we need to pray what David said in the first verse of our text. Lord, is there anyone in my family, are there any of my friends that I need to show kindness to for your sake? Is there anyone I've overlooked? Is there anyone I just tend to to, to skip over? Maple Grove, to develop the fruit of goodness and kindness, we need to unleash kindness on our family and friends. Get it? Good. And we need to unleash some of that kindness this very week. Maybe you need to write somebody a note. Give them a small gift. Make them some cookies. Don't make me cookies till after Easter, right, because I gave them up for Lent, right? That would just really be horrific to look at some good cookies right now. You know, do something for them around the house. Cook their favorite meal. Rather than having, uh, having them do everything for you, why don't you do some things for them, all right? Unleash it on your family and your friends. Anybody want to do that this week? Anybody? Okay. We got a lot of unkind people out there today. <laughs> Holy Spirit, convict them. All right. Uh, here's the second application. Unleash kindness on someone who cannot return the favor. And then this is gut check time, right? Gut check time. Because it's very easy for us to be selective in our kindness and our goodness. And sometimes the determining factor in us being kind to somebody is what's in it for us. Now, David was not like that. I mean, uh, what does a crippled guy living in a desolate place have to offer a powerful king? Not much from a human viewpoint. You know, as you read the scriptures, you see that God is constantly calling his people to look out and to care for those who are least fortunate. In fact, Jesus told a parable about this on the last week of his life, and he ended it like this. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? or thirsty and give you something to drink? And When did we see you a stranger, invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison or go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these my brothers, you did for me. I understand, the, words, the world's economy is so different than God's. I mean, the world, the world is always networking, Uh, Looking for opportunities to hang out with people who will enhance their popularity, to enhance their power, to enhance their position. But that's not who God says we're to be. He says, sure, it's fine. Hang out with those who have position and power and and try to influence them for Christ. But be sure not to overlook those who are often neglected. Uh, God says, I I want you to reach out for those who, who, who most people overlook, who most people discard. God says, I-, I want you to reach out to those who were dropped when they were young and they're kind of messed up from it. God says, I-, I want you to reach out to those who are hiding in a, in a desolate place because they're feeling ashamed about who they are. God says, I-, I want you to reach out to those who have nothing to offer you back. God says, I want you to reach out to those who most of the world overlooks, discards, and throws away. After all, James says that's what pure religion is, right? Right? He said it in James 1. I'm like not making this up. Here's what he said. i got to throw the first part here too because this is really good, right? Go to the other verse. There you go. If you claim to be religious but don't control your what? Your tongue. You're fooling yourself and your religion is what? Worthless. All right? That's, that's kind of like ouch, right? Uh, next verse. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for the orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. In October of last year we launched our 3-year strategic plan. A plan that is all about, right? It's all about fulfilling our mission, right? That's it. It's about fulfilling our mission. Like Jesus, we see, like Jesus, we seek the lost, we make disciples and we show compassion. You know, and part of that three-year plan was to form a compassion team because, you know what, we don't want, you know, show compassion just to be two words on a, on a banner, right? Stick them on a coffee mug or a T-shirt. We want, we want compassion to flow out from us into the streets of this world. In fact, showing compassion to those who are unable to return the favor was the motivation behind our, our new compassion initiative uh, that, they, that Gail is leading of going into the twos, true worship with older saints. You know, and recently we had a, a family go and, uh, and visit there, and they want to share their experience of going. You know, They have nothing to give back, at least maybe materially, but check this out.
1: My name is Joshua Jersey, and this is my daughter Olivia Jersey, and this is my wife Heather, and my son Luke, and we have been coming to Maple Grove for a little over a year now. So why did you get involved with the twos
2: ministry?
3: Well, um, actually, uh, I've always had a huge heart for elderly people. Um, I don't know why. Ever since I was really young, I've always loved spending time with elderly people. I always did it um, myself, and then whenever um, we heard about it in, from Gail in the church, you know, we're always looking for places where we can serve, especially as a family. And uh, right away, we just looked at each other and like, we're there. So, um, so we just jumped right in, and um, and that's basically it.
1: So, where did you go? We ended up going to the um, nursing home in. Uh, we had already been there once before uh, with our life group, so it was good oh, wow. to uh, go back in there and see people who we had met before. Uh, they seemed to really enjoy that. What did you do when you visited there?
3: Well, um, Olivia made a bunch of valentines for all the people, and, um, and when we went in there, they basically passed them out and I think uh, pretty quickly just got real comfortable with everything and was giving out hugs and saying hi to everybody and um, it was actually really cool um, when we go in there and I would pretty much try to approach the people first and hi, we're, you know would you like a valentine's and a lot of them would just be sitting there and not respond to me but as soon as they heard one of the kids voices they just perked right up and wanted to give them hugs and the kids love passing the stuff out to them. So um, it was really cool to see I that, cookies. just seeing um, how, yeah, we had cookies for them. And um, just seeing how, how much the people just loved having the kids there. I mean, it, it was a really great feeling.
1: It was also really nice when the people we were visiting wanted to give them things. So they oh. brought, you know, it, it was just as exciting to give them, you know, what coins or candy or yeah. whatever they had. So, they all um,
3: wanted to give out their bingo weddings to the s- kids. <laughs> they seemed to really
1: enjoy it.
3: It'd be nice. Did you like meeting all the people? Yeah. What was your favorite part? Um, the cookies. The cookies. <laughs> the cookies.
1: The cookies were her favorite part. It's uh, yeah, we're just excited to to continue on with this. I think it's it a very uh, a worthwhile and uh, and great thing for the church to be doing, and um, I think that. There's a great opportunity to spread the gospel and the good news in uh, these places.
0: Uh-huh. I know that it's actually. It's right. you know. Two, one.
1: <laughs> That's impressive. You could keep going with that. <laughs> uh-huh.
2: Okay, hey, you guys know how I love this. Um, I'm up here today for the compassion team. We have two opportunities for you. And before I start, I'm just going to qu- share a quick personal thing. Um, Steve talked last week about the 21 Egyptian Christians who were beheaded. And when that happened, I really struggled a lot with the why of it. And not so much why did it happen, but why the disparity? Why were those faithful men born where they were? And why were we born here? With so many resources, we can worship freely. We have homes and cars and clothes and food and clean water and doctors and schools. And, um, you know, God didn't tell me why his ways aren't my ways. But what I really felt tugging at my heart was um, just him saying that I have what I have, and we all have what we have um, for a reason, and we are where we are for a reason. Maybe we're here for such a time as this. And God was really telling me, don't let your gifts and your resources go to waste, but use them for my glory. And um, so I start thinking about what would our church look like if every single person here really stepped up and used the gifts they've been given for God's glory. Um, Romans 12 says that we have all been giving gifts according to His grace, and Peter says in 1 Peter 4 that we should, each one of us, use our, our unique gifts um, to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace. And so if we all did that, imagine how our church would be changed, how our homes, our schools, our neighborhoods, our workplaces. Imagine how God would be glorified in Charlottesville if every Christian stepped up and used their gifts for God's glory. And one thing I imagine is, if we all did that, that every single need within Maple Grove would be met. Um, Galatians 6.10, we've said before, says, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those belonging to the body of believers, and so Pam and Dan McClish are heading up the Galatians six ten team, and they've been working hard to gather the needs at Maple Grove and make sure those needs are met. But they can't do it on their own, and so we what we have for you today is inside your program is a little card that looks like this, it's the resource form, and in just a second we're going to give you a few minutes to, um, if you're willing to take the time to fill that card out. It just has your information on the front, and then on the back just some ways you can mark what are your gifts, where are some places you can joyfully serve your brothers and sisters in Christ just here at Maple Grove. Um, So don't feel like you have to check everything. Just mark what is your gift, what do you love. If you're good at cooking but you hate it, don't mark that. We want you to be able to joyfully serve each other. Um, If there's something you're good at that's not on there, you can write it on the bottom. We just received one of someone who wants to write encouraging notes, and that's awesome. We need that. So... You can fill in ones on the bottom. If you're visiting, don't feel like you have to give us all your information. No one's going to judge you if you don't pass it down. And if you've already done one, thank you. We have it. You don't have to do it again. So we're just going to take a couple minutes, and um, when we're done, there will be people to collect them at the ends of the aisles. Or if you're still writing, don't rush. You can um, bring them to the Compassion Kiosk after service, and we'll take them, take them there today or any Sunday. So um, just take a few minutes to fill that out. If you filled out a card, thanks so much, and it's not too late. You can always come over and do it later. And the great thing about these cards is, um, you're gonna only be asked to serve in a way now that you you love, hopefully only, and. Um, We're going to share the burden. We're a family, we're a team. So there are a lot of people here that can mow grass. Not one person has to carry that burden. And then lastly, if you have a need, which you will, every one of us in here is going to have a need at some point. There are going to be people here at Maple Grove who can love you and help you and serve you through that. Um, and we have one more opportunity for you guys today. So the word for compassion in the New Testament means to feel something to your innards, which sounds really gross to me. But if I really think about that, how often do I feel to my core when I see someone else's suffering? And for me, it's not nearly often enough. So I started looking in. The New Testament, when people showed compassion, and of course, usually it was Jesus, and every time it says, when Jesus saw the crowd, he showed compassion, and then he did something. When he saw the woman whose um, son had died, he showed compassion and comforted her and resurrected her son. Um, When the good Samaritan saw the man, then he had compassion on him, and when the prodigal son's father saw him then he had compassion on him and welcomed him home. And so I think for me and maybe for a lot of us, what we're missing is the seeing people. And so what my prayer is this week is that we all just slow down, you know, um, put down our devices, slow down the ongoing agendas and schedules and to-do lists in our heads, look around us and really see people. Look your kid in the eye when they're telling you the same story for the 12th time look the person in the eye who's serving you your food or ringing up your groceries and just see people because every person we meet is an opportunity from God to show his glory and to show compassion to them and so don't see things as interruptions but as opportunities from God so outside they're supposed to be under our beautiful grove tents but the wind is blowing everything away so we have um 12 we're all holding them up 12 different cards they're all different colors and they have just simple acts of compassion you can do this week ways to show love with words and actions like write an encouraging note or take flowers to the nursing home or leave an extra big tip or pay for the person behind you in the drive through and what we are asking is that everybody when they leave take a card and then prayerfully do that act of compassion sometime this week so really ask God who might need that because you never know what an impact just a small act of compassion will do. You might change someone's day or life or even their eternity if they're asking you why you're doing this. So take a card, do the action, and then next week bring back your card, put your name on it, and bring it to the kiosk. We're just going to collect them so we can really see how Jesus is moving. If you really don't feel like doing it, I'm just asking just this one time to try it. Because um, just like Steve said last week, if you're walking in the will of God, um, he will turn a duty into a delight or an obligation into an opportunity. So just try it. So let's all take a card. Kids can take them too. They're easy things. And let's just flood our families in Charlottesville with the kindness and compassion of Jesus. And like Steve says, we'll see what happens. So.
0: Amen. <laughs> Amen. 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 I mean, just imagine, right, And what we can do as a church as we unleash compassion on our family and friends, on, on those who cannot return the favor. There's just one more thing to talk about, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it uh, uh, rather quick. I didn't allow enough margin in my message like I talked about before, but don't tune out, all right? This is like killer stuff, seriously. You're just like, wow, I'm glad I tuned in and he told me to tune in. All right, here's the deal. The next thing is we, we have to unleash compassion on those who may not deserve it. Um, um, Mephibosheth didn't necessarily deserve it, right? I mean, he's from a family that tried to kill David, uh, that waged war against David. Um, And when Jonathan died, David could have said, you know, forget about it. Jonathan's dead, he's never gonna know. Uh, But David was a good man and he fulfilled his promise even though it was not necessarily deserved. One powerful example that, that I think of when I think of Uh, Showing kindness when it's not deserved, you know, happened back in like in the mid nineteen eighties. There's a guy named Charles Tex Watson. You may have heard his name. He was part of the Manson gang. Um, He was involved in the murders that the Charles Manson's uh, family committed. And in 1969, he's arrested. He's he's on death row. And uh, sometime in the mid seventies, he became a Christ follower. And about 1987, he began to exchange letters. Um, with a lady outside the jail, and, and she came to visit him in 1988. And when she visited Charles, she asked him about his life, his family, his upbringing, how he got involved with the Mansons, um, about the murders, um, about his conversion to Christ. And, and, and once Tex Watson, Charles, had shared all that, um, this woman revealed her identity, and her identity was Suzanne LaBianca. And if you don't know, she was the daughter of Rosemary and Leon LaBianca, who were killed the second night of the Mansons' rampage. And these two developed a very unique friendship. And she actually became, you know, she would actually go to parole hearings, and she would say that Charles has changed, he's a different person because of Christ, and that she has completely forgiven him. Um, actually, a, a TV show program on current affairs showed this an unholy alliance uh, between a victim and a crazed killer, and, and and where they talked about her story and Charles's story. And, and you know what? Um, uh, Mephibosheth may not have deserved kindness, but David gave it. You know, um, Charles Tex Watson may not have deserved kindness uh, from the daughter of someone he had killed, uh, her mom and dad, but she gave it. So and so might not deserve your kindness, and you got a so and so, and you got a so and so, and I got a so and so, and what God wants to know are we going to give it? You know, are we going to give that kindness even when it's not deserved? Because Scripture says, right? Romans two four says that you know, they, God's kindness leads to it leads to repentance. So this week, Maple Grove, get what God wants us to do. You know he he wants a river of kindness to flow out from us, and let's not forget to unleash it on our family and our friends, and let's unleash it on those who can't pay back, and you can do that with the cards, and let's unleash it maybe on someone who may not deserve that kindness. And just one quick thought about Mephibosheth. In reality, you and I are. Mephibosheth, and we're really, we're either the before and after. Remember two names, shameful thing and dispeller of grace? And first, I want to talk to the people in here who are Jesus followers and who, because of what Jesus said, are now a son or daughter of the king of kings, and they get to sit at that table feasting with the king. I want you to remember how you got there. You, you did not earn God's favor. You were in low the bar. You were in a place of no pasture. You were in a desolate place. You were crippled and disabled. The world had dropped you, and you were messed up, but Jesus Christ brought you in. And as we sing about the scandal of his grace in just a minute, if you're at that table, I want you to celebrate. And if you've been at the table, but you forgot how great it is, and you don't appreciate it like you should. I want you to rededicate your amazement and wonder to the grace of God. And the other, and then you, because you become a dispeller of shame. And the other group that could be Mephibosheth are those who have never yet accepted Christ. You're not sitting at His table yet. You're broken. You May not even know you're broken, right? But without Jesus, you are, because we live in a fallen world and. And I want you to know that God wants to make you a son and daughter. Uh, I want you to know that today is the day that you can come to him, surrender your life, repent of living for yourself, be baptized into his name, be filled with his spirit, and begin living a new life. You know, whatever you need, wherever you are, uh, you're either one or the other, right? You know, you're either a shameful thing or you're the, the speller of shame because of what God has done for you. And so if you need to come up here and pray and just celebrate God's grace where you're at, but I really want us to sing this song, man, and just celebrate. It is so stinking scandalous, right, you know, what God did for us. Would you stand and pray with me? God, we love you. We worship you. And first, God, I want to pray for those who maybe aren't at the table. And and God, maybe they don't feel worthy. Maybe their whole lives they've been made to feel like a a worthless dog. Maybe a mom or dad who should have carried them, dropped them, and Beat them down with words that hurt them and, and, and now they, they see a distorted image of who they really are. And God, I pray you bring them to your table today and they see themselves as you see them and they surrender their lives to you. And, and God, I pray for all of us who have the opportunity, God, just sit at your table to be your sons and your daughters. May we not take it lightly and may we celebrate it loudly. In Jesus' name, amen.